Hey guys, welcome back to this week's episode of the 360 Tennessee Sports Coverage Podcast. Uh, this week, it's me, Caleb. Cody's back with us uh, after having to jump out a little bit early last week uh, for some church reasons, and Kobe's with us as well. This week, we're going to talk a little bit about the Vols uh, recruiting class that they just got in. And we're going to talk about the Preds, what you might expect to see at the trade deadline. And uh, we might have a date set now for when Mike Fisher is going to see the ice. So sit back, guys. Relax. Hope you enjoy this episode of the podcast. All right, guys. So we know what's going on with the recruiting class now. The positions are finalized for the most part. Um, it didn't end quite as big as we hoped it would, but I think we got some pretty solid players. What did, what do you guys think about, uh, Pruitt's first recruit recruiting class? I think it could have been a whole lot worse. Um, although it, we didn't get the five stars like we wanted, um, that was disappointing. And we had a few players, um, change over, go to other schools. So I was disappointed in the day um just because of how uh, how things went down with other players uh, but um it took about a day to get over it but when you go back and look at the the class as a whole we did add, we did add some solid players um of course we didn't get the big ones like we wanted which is which is understandable you know um your players You've got a coach that's coming in. He is he hasn't been a head coach, um, but I think he does have a great record. But so there, there's there's always that doubt there with players. So that's understandable that they would go somewhere else, especially the big names. Um, but we did add some great players. I feel uh, we got a lot of three stars, and although they don't look as pretty as five stars, I think he has some great potential in those players and I think he's going to get that potential out of them well you know a lot of times you know I I was a little disappointed on national signing day as well um but for what Pruitt has done and so far in this recruiting his his recruiting class I guess is what you can call it because essentially it is his first recruiting class um but the big thing is the stars yes those kids are athletic but the stars don't always mean everything You've got guys like J.J. Watt, and I mentioned this, I think, last week or the week before last, that weren't even highly ranked coming out of high school, and you see what they're doing at the next level. So, and you, I mean, and John Kelly, um, one of my favorite Tennessee Vols to ever play just because of how he plays the game. Hard-nosed, uh, grinder, gets down, not afraid to get dirty. Um, he was only a three-star. So, I mean, that's that shows how great some of these players actually are that are kind of under – I mean, I guess they're they don't they're not the expectations aren't as high for like some coaches. They shoot for the five stars. You know, you see Saban pull in the five stars week in and week out. But let's not overlook the one the one guy I think Tennessee is going to help Tennessee the most, and that's JJ Peterson. Yeah, Peterson. That was definitely that was actually the bright spot of National Signing Day for me. Because uh, there was a rumor that Alabama had pushed for him hard and he could flip. So keeping him was was definitely something we had to do. 
Um, and I'm, I mean, I'm on board with both of what you guys said. Um, I was, I was quite disappointed on national signing day. Um, and I think the reason there was so much disappointment is because everything was so hyped up. Uh, I think there was a big hype train for Tennessee going into national signing day. So everyone's expectations were just out the roof. And then when it didn't happen, everyone got really down about it. But when I look at the class, like Cody said, it took about a day to get over. When I looked at the class, um, once everything had kind of calmed down, I think we ended up really good, actually. I mean, I think they said 85% of the players who signed with us had never even considered Tennessee before Pruitt was named the head coach. So that alone shows you that he's putting his stamp on this team and he's not just going to go with players because of stars. He's looking at players for a particular purpose. I tell you one of the things on National Signing Day that National Signing Day that I'm a little tongue tied tonight, guys. Bear with me. Um, the thing that disappointed me the most was probably the Jordan Young decommitment, and the reason I say that is that kid wasn't even ranked until Pruitt went down and sent him an offer, and he committed Im almost immediately because it was his first big offer. And then the second that Florida State comes, you know, offers him a visit. He goes down, jumps off of our train, and heads over on there. And, and you know, if, if that's what he feels like is best for his future, fine. But don't commit so early and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm going uh, to jump on Tennessee's board, you know, because they're the first one to offer me. He pretty much parlayed a Tennessee Vols offer into another big school offer. Yeah, he did. And um, that's really aggravating, too. You know, um, I think he could have done great things at University of Tennessee. But if you're not committed to it, then go ahead and go somewhere else. If it, all it takes is some nice sparkling um, lockers in a locker room or some nice facility, whatever, go for it. Because I, and I believe that's how Pruitt's looking at it too, though, because he wants guys fully committed to his staff, to his program. And because that's, that's how you're going to make a difference at the school is having – those players and that staff fully committed. And I I think the ones that we do have, I think they're great. Um, and also, I, I just looked at it to see where, where we did end up. And we did end up with the 20th class. So, although it's not in the top 10 like we wanted, that we still it's still hard to complain about a top 20, given that we did – do a whole coaching restructure in the off season. Yeah, and something uh, going back to the top twenty class, something to look at. Uh, everyone was so impressed with what Butch Jones did with his first class, and because of he he had a short time as well, uh, but he only ended up with the number twenty three class in his first class. So Pruitt actually did better with his first class than Butch Jones did on a lot tighter schedule. Um, but to talk about uh, Jordan Young a little bit, uh, like Kobe said, it, it's all, or Cody said, it, it's almost better that if he was really that finicky about us that he just went ahead and moved on. Because, I mean, 
that opens up spots for other guys. I wish he would have told us earlier so we could have started recruiting more more guys to fill that spot. But you look at someone like a Joseph Norwood, the kid from Chattanooga who broke down and cried and dropped his phone when Pruitt called to offer him. I mean, that's someone I want on the University of Tennessee football roster. That kid cared so much about the University of Tennessee that he broke down into tears when he got the offer from them. Why would you not want to let someone who doesn't care about the university walk and lose a guy like that who's probably going to do great things just because of his character? I, I, man, that, those are the kind of stories that I love to see. Um, and that's, like you said, that's the player that you want. You know, I would take that over – some glossy-looking five-star recruit because that player is going to come in and he's going to truly give his all for Tennessee every day he steps on the, the field, the practice field, wherever it's at, he's going to give his all. A lot of five-star recruits, although uh, I'm not saying this to blanket all of them, but a lot of five-star recruits can be, um, because they have that five-star mentality, they think, they should be given everything. They don't feel like they have to work as hard because they got they were one of the first recruits that they went after. So when you get those those smaller recruits, the ones that didn't get the big names, they're going to come in and work harder because they know they have to. So it it could be a very good thing for our team having those a lot of three star recruits because they're going to give their all, and and that's where it comes to win. That's how you get to where you can win national championships championships yeah and you get guys that are freakishly athletic um i want to take the kid that uh pruitt you know pulled from clemson pretty much he 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 was on clemson's radar and he tennessee or pruitt got him to come to tennessee so and that's uh trayvon flowers yeah. you know he he had a baseball scholarship to play at kentucky i do believe and uh he said he i believe he played shortstop if i'm if i'm correct on that and so, I mean, that just shows, you know, like, uh, who was the kid from Tennessee? T. Higgins. He was a multi-sport athlete. Even though he was like a four or five star, a lot of those multi-sport athletes like that are freakishly athletic. And I believe Pruitt called him one of the steals of the recruiting class. That's what, that's what a lot so, of people I mean, are saying, that, that he was the steal. And, I mean, that just goes to show there's multiple positions you could potentially put that kid you know, if he's quick enough to play corner, if he's, you know, if he's big enough to play safety or, or whatever, you know, that, that just shows that Pruitt knows what he's doing. He knows kids that he wants on his team, and he goes after them. Uh, before I let one, one of you all talk, the other kid I want to talk about is the Tillman kid. And I have respect for this kid just be, out of pure fact that he hadn't even visited the campus. He just immediately committed to Tennessee. I mean, dude, that takes balls to come out and just commit to a university that you haven't even been on campus and seen. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's great stories all throughout this class about guys who just want to be at the University of Tennessee. And I think that is going to do more for us than possibly some of the other guys who were higher rated. Uh, I mean, the Tillman kid is a wide receiver from – Nevada. Yeah, Bishop Gorman. I am honestly, I'm more excited about him than I would have been about a Jacob Copeland because 
I, I think he just has great character. He loves the University of Tennessee enough to commit without ever even being here. I mean, that's who I want. And I think we got a lot of guys like that. Another one that comes to mind for me is the uh, Gooden kid, the defensive end that we signed. I mean, he was committed to the University of Tennessee two years ago, had to go play in junior college, and then he gets the chance to go back, and guess what? He commits to the University of Tennessee again. How many guys do we have on our roster who committed to us twice? I mean, that's that's just someone you want on your team and someone you want fighting for you every Saturday. I will tell you, um, looking through our recruits that we had this year, um, I like that we have a lot of in-state players. Um, and I think uh, – he has said that himself, that he wants to own the state in recruiting. Um, I think we're a hotbed for recruits. Uh, we've got some great high school football programs that are building um, great athletes, and it's it's ours for the taking. You know, um, most football players growing up as a kid in Tennessee, you're looking at wanting to be playing for the University of Tennessee. We need to get it back that way. We need to have these homegrown players to uh, continue the pipeline to Knoxville because here lately we've let Alabama come up here, start taking players. We've let Clemson, we've let, uh, we've let a lot of these outsiders come in. And also we started letting Memphis and Vanderbilt come in and start taking in state. So, you know, I think that was an area that, um, our past and our past coaching staff kind of depleted. They didn't get those relationships going, and I think Pruitt's going to build that back up. And I think, I think that's going to help us in the long run. Since you mentioned Memphis, uh, that's kind of where I wanted to go with this. Memphis is also a hotbed, and Ole Miss pulls a bunch of recruits from the Memphis area along with Arkansas because. Ole Miss is a lot closer to Memphis yes, than is. Knoxville is. So, and I believe Pruitt, you know, made a statement that he wanted to get down in that area and recruit. I mean, if you want the whole state, you've got to get to the farthest point away from Knoxville. That is still considered the state. So, he'll have his work cut out for him against Ole Miss and Arkansas and some of their schools that are closer to those kids because a lot of those kids like to play close to home. You know, we've seen that. But – for him to get down there and and pull those kids to to Knoxville, that could just set up uh, future um, commits on down the road for us. Well, when you look at the state, it right now is the time to to take over the state and make sure that we build walls around it so kids aren't going to Alabama and Georgia and Clemson, because next year's in-state prospects. I think we have 18 four-star in-state prospects next year. So, I mean, we have to lock down this state. That that alone will put us at a top 10 recruiting class just if we lock down our state. So now's the time to do it. You can't wait. you you got to make sure you're getting those guys in now. And I think a big – step towards that was getting a guy like um, Jackson Lampley who committed to us last week who is a four-star in-state guard 
I mean, that kid bleeds orange, and he was determined that he was going to play for the University of Tennessee. It takes a love like that. And now, every time he goes and plays at an in-state all-star game or he's playing against other guys that are big-time recruits, you know what he's going to be doing? Hey, man, you should join up with me at Tennessee next year. And that just goes a long way to getting those guys to come. And once you've built that pipeline where no one's wanting to leave the state, I mean, you're golden. It's hard for people to pull your own guys away from you at that point. Especially looking at, like, J.J. Peterson this year. The reason he wanted to come to the University of Tennessee is because he had prior teammates playing for Tennessee in Shambert in Shamberger and uh, the other guy. Uh, Blakely. Blakely. So so when you've got former teammates on the University of Tennessee roster, those next guys, are they've got someone that they already know on the roster that they can go bond with. That just does wonders for a program. Yeah, and, um, you know, I think it's good that uh, Pruitt and his staff has already started on next year's, um, seeing that, uh, I'm looking at 24-7, their commits for 2019, and we have uh, one that committed uh, – what's, what's today? They committed on the 8th. So, you know, they're going and working right now. They're working and building on next year already, and that's what it takes um, to continue to grow. Um, and you can't just recruit when you think it's recruiting season because it's always recruiting season. And I'm excited to see where we're going to be. Yeah, like you said, you know, whenever you go and you get a kid to commit to Tennessee or whether they commit to Alabama or where, wherever else they, you know, the school of their choice, you have to stay on them because, I mean, literally, you know, at the, you know, flick of a moment, they can decommit and then sign with somewhere else. I mean, we saw that with Jordan Young on National Signing Day. So it's important to keep up um, close contact with them, build a strong relationship where they don't want to have second thoughts, where they don't want to visit other campuses, where they know 100% in their mind and in their heart Tennessee is where they want to be. That's the kind that that Pruitt's going to have to work on and get them 100% on board with Tennessee. Yeah, and if they do decide to have a another early signing day next year, uh, that's when it's going to be really important because we want to get those guys to go ahead and sign with us in December rather than holding out to February to sign those commitments uh, because we saw it this year, and this is something I kind of wanted to talk about with the National Signing Day this year. Um, there were so many people who had already signed on that early signing day that um, – the coaches really got to hand pick who they wanted to look at for the late signing day this year. So those five-star guys that we were trying to recruit, guess what? Everyone and their brother got to have just as many visits with them as we did. And ultimately that led to them going somewhere else. If we can get those guys locked in early, we're not fighting to get five stars on the second day. We'll be getting five stars on the first day. So it, it's just important to remember that with when you narrow down the pool as much as we did this year, I mean, 
it, it almost makes it twice as hard to get a five star as it does if you're getting them early. Yeah, there's definitely pros and cons to the the early signing day taking effect, and, and you pretty much just mentioned them all. You know, you you lock the guys up where they don't have a chance to to rethink their decision, but if you have a certain guy that you're trying to, you know, if he hadn't committed and he's trying to decide with, you know, two or three schools, it gives all three of those schools plenty of time to go in and meet with him as many times as they want or or visit him as many times as they want. Uh, some news we got today as well. Um, I'm interested to hear y'all's opinion on this. Uh, Robert Galipsy. Uh, has parted ways with the school. It it wasn't really clear whether Pruitt asked him to leave or he had agreed to leave. We don't really know what happened there, but he was actually our recruiting coordinator uh, before Pruitt took over. What do you guys think about Galipsy leaving and what that might do to future well, recruiting uh, classes? I hate to see him go because he's been he's built so many big running backs for us. Um, but I don't think it's going to hurt us bad. Uh, I think that was kind of, I, I think it was an attempt to keep together what class we did have, um, because he was a major part in the recruiting. Um, and I think, I think it might've been a deal that was already in the works because it seems like it was a mutual thing. So it, it seemed like he, he already knew that this might've be might've been coming. They just kind of kept it under wraps for recruiting. Um, I don't think it's going to be a problem him get a job somewhere else. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see who replaces him. Yeah, you know, I, I like Coach uh, Coach G. So, um, you know, it's, it's kind of hard to see him go. But there's a point where you have to think the running backs we've had the last couple of years have been underutilized. I mean, I don't know if that was in part to the offensive coordinator, if that was if that fell 100% on Butch. But you have to think, you got guys like Kamara that win, you know, rookie of the year, and they didn't get near enough touches when they were at Tennessee. And I feel like it's the same way with John Kelly. You know, I feel like he could be a sleeper for the draft as well. And I feel like he was underutilized. So, I mean, you have to question – if he was, you know, getting his running backs in, involved enough, I mean, I, I feel like he did a, a really good job recruiting running backs. He knew, he has an eye for talent. There's no denying that. But you have to question, you know, what he's putting on the field as far as – or how often he's putting them on the field. Yeah, I think uh, – I think Co Cody probably had it the most right um, – I think this was something that was kind of already in the works. Uh, it seems like it was kind of a mutual thing. Like I said, we really don't know what went on there. But it, it did seem more like a move to go ahead and try to keep this class together. And if that's the case, then it just makes me respect uh, Galipsy that much more that he actually cared about the University of Tennessee enough to say, Hey, I'll I'll forego looking for another job long enough to to help y'all out right now, and then we'll part ways later. I mean, it it takes a, a a pretty big person to stay behind and keep together what he's built to that point, rather than just letting it fall apart. And I can respect that a ton. 
all right so since we've uh kind of exhausted the uh, uh recruiting national signing day let's uh switch over to the preds who are playing the blues as we speak and uh, talk a little bit about what's going on with them uh forsberg's back which is great we need him uh, especially against playoff competition like the blues um, and then we heard a little bit today from David Poyle uh, saying that, you know, the trade deadline might be more about keeping who we got rather than trading people away and maybe trying to get some winger help. What do you guys think about him saying we're closer to doing nothing than making a trade? It means he trusts the team that ha- he has on the ice. And to me, that that's important. Our team has played really well uh, you know, even with that, with guys injured, other guys have stepped up. You know, in absence when Forsberg was out, when Ellis was out, so you know he he trusts those guys. He he's assembled a pretty darn good team. They are at the top of the you know Central Division, and that that speaks for itself. Considering we play in one of the toughest divisions in hockey, you know it doesn't make me nervous at all because of the team we have and the way everybody's been playing. Like uh, you both have said. Um, what uh, we have Mike Fisher coming we all know he's coming so that's kind of a move in itself but it's not going to affect we're not going to have to make that big of a move to add him to the uh roster so that's that's help coming um i th- i think we're just in a good spot um in past years we've kind of had to make some major moves and try to uh get those big players but this year, I think we just need to hold firm on what we've got going. And I I feel very comfortable we're going to make a good run at it. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty excited just to keep what we've got together. Uh, I think that's something that we needed to do. Um, in the past, we've seen some guys be traded for and bring them in, and they really haven't fit what we had going at the time when we traded for them. And – it's just good to have continuity and know each other, have those people, have those players who have chemistry together and not bring in guys who are just coming off the street, having to learn the system altogether. Uh, that being said, there was one guy being mentioned as trade bait that I kind of would have liked to get to come in and play. And that'd be James Neal. Uh, and you wouldn't have that chemistry problem because he already knows the team. Uh, but, like, I, I, I completely agree. Being comfortable with the team we have is probably going to be the best thing for us going into the playoffs. Yeah, you, you said the word chemistry. You know, these guys have been playing with each other since October, some of them longer than – I mean, the new additions have been playing with each other since October, which would have been Benino and Hartnell and Emlyn and guys like that. But you've got guys that's been on this team for a couple years, some that's been on this team for – ahead of Laviolette but long before he ever got here so a lot of these guys already know how to play along with each other and sometimes it can take you know an extended length of time to develop that chemistry whether you bring in a guy like Rick Nash you know he might not fit on line two so you put him on line three well he doesn't really work at line three um, but you don't want to mess up your chemistry on line one so you know there's so many options and sometimes sticking with what you got could be the best option Absolutely, and 
I mean, y'all talked about Fisher coming in. That's just leadership uh, upon leadership that we're gaining. And, I mean, you got to think that man kills penalty like no other. So uh, it's going to be great to get him back. And then uh, something else that Poyle kind of hinted at this afternoon is he might be able to make a move to get a player even without having to trade, and that's Tolvanen. He said we were going to explore his options uh, up until his season is over to see if we might be able to get him in before the playoffs. So that could be a really good player coming over, and we don't have to give up anything to get him on the team. Yeah, we've we've talked about the Tolvanen situation, and we could keep talking about it till you know our, our heads turn blue or our faces turn blue, but. It, it, we've there's so much talent there, and he is a pure goal scorer. He's a dynamic goal scorer at such a young age. And you know we've we've had the debate. Well, do you burn the year off? Do you wait? You know, it, can you get him ready for the playoffs? You know that playoff experience is so valuable. And if you can get him in at a young age and get that that experience on him, you know that just better prepares him for the future. But do you want to mess up any possible lines you've got now? You know, you, you could add depth, which is always huge. We had so many injuries hit with us last year, especially with Fiala and, you know, Joey going down. So there's there's pros and cons to both sides. And whatever Poyle decides to do, I will 100% be on board because in GM David Poyle, I trust. Yeah, I think, um, which we've we have dived very deep in the Tolvan and stuff. So I don't want to get too deep, but um, just going back on a couple little things that you said, it, I think um, they're not going to, they wouldn't bring him over if he wasn't ready. If they didn't have every bit of confidence in him, they, they would just let him stay where he's at. Um, and there's a lot of things that goes on that we don't know about too. So I think it like, like you said, Kobe, I have full trust in whatever move they want to do, whatever they, however they want to handle this, I'm going to let them go because they're the reason why we've made the run last year and we're setting in a position that we are in this year. I personally would like to see, I like to see like what we've done with Fisher and if we do, if, what, if we do bring him over because we're not having to go acquire somebody. We're not going to have to trade a bunch of people. We're not having to go through a big roster change for it. Because, like you said, chemistry, it, call, it all comes down to chemistry. And when you start breaking people apart, breaking up lines, that can mess up a lot of stuff. But it could work out good, too. So I, I, think, I think we're in a good position. Yeah, and – I think what you talked about is is really what is most important to me is not having to trade so many people away. I don't like the idea of moving a bunch of our prospects or picks for one guy because I don't think we're I don't think we're missing so much that we have to go out and get just one more player and then we'll be there. I think we already have the team to do it. One more player is really just a luxury. It's not a necessity. So why risk the future of the team just to go get that one guy? I mean, it, it's all about winning cups, and I completely agree with that. 
But this team is set up for long runs for the next three to five seasons, not just for this year. So I don't want to mortgage our future to buy something right now. Yeah, and you mentioned the James Neal possibility of, you know, him already knowing the system that we play in. So from from me being the outside looking in, the only two guys that I could consider that I don't think would mess with the chemistry a whole lot would be the James Neal acquisition, but then you have to, you know, give up the picks or players, whatever, to acquire him. And then you have to re-sign him in the offseason. And then you have, you know, cap space and, and budgets to deal with. And another guy would, would possibly be Mike Hoffman just because he's played with Turris some. But then you have, you know, other guys that fit in those lineups. Say you put Hoffman on the Turris line with, with Smith. Well, Smith has never played with him. But if you bring Neil over and you put Neil on the Turris line, well, Neil and Turris never played together. So there's still chemistry issues, even if you've had guys that have played with each other before. That's uh, What you just said a minute ago is what I hadn't thought about a whole lot in – I haven't dug into it a deeper, uh, very deep, but I know Caleb has because of our conversations that we've had over the past couple of weeks. His cap space, you know, um, I like I said, I hadn't thought about it much until Caleb started talking about it. Because if we don't watch out, we're going to get so many big names. We're not going to be able to keep them all, um, especially with our talent that's been able. We've been able to develop ourselves. We're not going to have the money to keep them all because it's going to work in the next couple years. We're going to have to be dropping some major change to extend some contracts because we don't want to give up Yossi. We don't want to give up Ellis. We don't want to give up a lot of these players. But if we go and make these big acquisitions, they'll end up costing us some big money in the offseason. Yeah, that's that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, I mean, y'all kind of ragged me about the cap space for for a little bit, but I, we've gone out and done a good job of locking up the guys that we've brought in. Joey came in a few years ago. We've locked him up to an eight-year deal. Turris came in this year. We've got him for six years. We've got Forsberg for six more years. And we have Arvidsson for six more years. Um, but Kevin Fiala is coming up for a contract, and he's going to make a heck of a lot more than $825,000 on this next contract. Yes, he is. Um, UC Soros is up for a new contract at the end of this year. Um, I think he's only making 625000 right now. But he's going to jump up pretty significantly, maybe not to 4 or $5 million. But that's going to be a big signing because it it really looks like right now he's the future at goalie for the Nashville Predators. Um, but like you said, you got to think about it. Are we trading for someone who is a one-year fix or are we going to trade for someone who we have to lock up long-term? And if we are making those trades for one-year fixes – and then we're going to lose guys later on. Are we going to have the guys to step in and replace them? That's what I was talking about with mortgaging the future to win something right now. Luckily, if we do lose one of those defensemen, we've got Fabro in the system who can come up and and hopefully be a number one defenseman for us. 
But if we trade him away right now for a winger and then Ellis leaves in two years and we don't have anyone waiting to take his spot, have we really done ourselves a, a good thing or are we, or are we doing ourselves a disservice? See, I like the position that we've got ourselves in now um, because if I was, let's say, Chicago, I would be, I would, I would personally want to be fixing this short-term stuff because of the position that they're in. We're setting in a good position, and we don't have those major holes in our roster. We don't necessarily have to go get a big-name winger to help us try to make the playoffs. We have a team that I feel that we could win the cup with right now without having to make any major changes. Because we have a great we have great depth, and I think we have some great players. I, I like I said, if I was if I was another team that had those major gaps, I I wouldn't care about cap space in two years. But if we want to continue on what we have going now, if we want to continue making the playoffs every year, we need to think long term instead of short term. I, I think. We do want to make a run for the cup, and if we had a major hole in our roster, we would need to go get a winger or whatever. But we don't have that major yeah. hole that we have to go make those big trades. You mentioned a team that that's perfect for for the issue that I that I'm fixing to bring up, and that you know the issue with cap for like say Chicago is they've got so many guys on big contracts like Kane and Taze. And then you got guys like Seabrook who are on massive contracts, and they're just not producing. You got guys that are aging, and they can't—they're not putting up the numbers or the statistics like they should. So it's kind of got them in a bad place, and they don't have enough young talent. I mean, you can't draft enough players and then develop them enough in time to get them up and ready before their contracts expire. And you know, another same thing with Edmonton. Connor, Connor McDavid, sensational player, probably the best young player in the league right now, possibly the best player in the league. He signed a massive deal. Well, that limits you on your other roster spots. And I think that's that's something that Poyle has done really well is getting these guys on team-friendly contracts. I mean, you get guys like Arvidsson that are making like $4 million a year. That's a 30-goal scorer. That's a pretty good deal. Uh, you get guys like Joey that's number one center is signed for like eight million or eight and a quarter. When guys like him are making, you know, nine, ten million dollars. Not to mention people like Ellis and Yossi that are on extremely friendly deals, probably a little too yeah. friendly, to be quite honest with you. Uh, yeah, I mean that's that that's what has got us to where we're at now is we've we've gotten really good deals out of players that I mean, honestly, I think even Callie Yarncroke should be making more money than he's making right now. But we've got him locked up for five more seasons after this year at $2 million. I mean, that's a, a freaking steal. I mean, he is a quality player. He's a great penalty killer. He's a good face-off man. He's just a quality player, and he's on a very team-friendly deal. Uh, but, I mean, something to look at is – if even if we don't trade for Neil this off season, 
could he want to come back to Nashville so bad that he takes a, a team-friendly deal just to join back up with his team and make a run? Uh, because last I saw, he still has a house in Nashville, and he really likes it here. That could be someone who you pursue in the offseason to fill that wing void. Yeah, and you know, another thing, too, is if Poyle, for instance, feels like he could acquire him at a decent rate without mortgaging the whole future, you know, say you give up a, an AHL player, you know, someone that's not like Fabro, but someone that's a decent talent and, you know, maybe a pick, and, you know, say, hey, Neil, we'd, we're going to trade for you. We'd love to have you, but we want an extension at, you know, whatever, you know, basically what Tourist did. You know, we, we traded for him, but we got him to sign an extension in the process. You know, that, that would almost be worth the trade just so you know that other teams don't have a chance to, to offer him a contract. But, you know, I, I'm happy where we are, though. We're setting at 75 points. Um, we're setting at – uh, number one in the Central Division. Um, we're one point behind uh, Vegas in the Western Conference. When you're sitting in those spots, looking at your points and everything, the trade deadline and stuff, is it's almost a non-issue um, because we're playing great hockey. Um or we're getting lots of points. Although the past couple games, uh, we've only been able to scrape one point out of the game because we've gone into overtime. I'm t I, I'm tired of seeing us go into overtime when we're on the road. Um, but I think I think we've got a great team, and I think we've got a great foundation. We just got to keep it. Yeah. That, it I think we have the team to win now, and I, I definitely don't want to say that this is our only year that we've got a shot. Uh, I mean, definitely win them while you can, but hopefully we have a run like Chicago did where we're winning three Stanley Cups over a nine-year period, not like Carolina did where they won one and then they're, they've been irrelevant ever since. I would rather have a team that's competing every year than one that has one good run and then you never hear anything else out of them. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's I think that's what a lot of teams have struggled with. There's been some teams that have that have been getting that let's say the Capitals for instance, they dominate the regular season, but they can't ever do anything in the postseason. And I feel like you don't want to be stuck in that rut. You have to take it to the next level, and our team is built for the next level. Our team is built, you know, for several seasons at a time and not one season at a time. We don't have to worry about a complete rebuild. It, we're, we are set up in a great situation, and it's because of Poyle and the staff that he's assembled around him to make this possible. Yeah, and one team that you talked about earlier who I feel like – had a good thing going and kind of killed it was Edmonton. I mean, they were picked to be one of the teams who competed for the Stanley Cup this year, and they've completely fallen apart. I think when you sign guys to those monstrous deals, you really kill momentum because 
they really don't have anything to work for after they've got a monster deal that's going to set them for life. So I don't want to be that team that we get so comfortable with the players we've got that we just sign them all to huge deals and then in two or three years we're basically doing nothing because now they don't even have to care anymore. I know this is way off subject, and but I'm kind of tired of talking about the trade deadline. But with the Winter Olympics started, are y'all kind of sad that the big name NHL guys aren't playing in playing in the Olympics this year? Well, I, honestly, I haven't had a reason to watch the Winter Olympics because of that. I mean, I used to love watching the big name players play in the Olympics, but it's really. I mean, I've watched a little bit of the Winter Olympics, but not near as much as I usually do just because, I mean, I mean, I love the Olympics in general. I, I love watching Team USA compete, but it, there hasn't been as much of a reason to watch now that those guys aren't playing. So, yeah, I mean, it is kind of a bummer. And, I mean, I, I kind of wish we had a week of rest. <laughs> But that is what it is. Yeah, it would be nice to give our guys, you know, a little bit of rest if they want to – if it could give them the option to play in the Olympics. But as tough as as the NHL is right now, we almost want these guys staying on their toes. And you don't don't want them to lose momentum because sometimes, you know, a week can change a lot of momentum (coughs) for any team. You get teams that are, you know – barely hanging on playoff positioning and they creep there they climb to the top and you got guys you know say like us and we could slide to the bottom so much can can change if you've got guys out playing with other guys can mess with your routine so in a way it, it doesn't really affect me one thing that i kind of hate um and i don't know if you guys saw this or not but this was probably Pecorino's last chance to represent his country in an Olympics, and he didn't get to do that because of the NHL rules. And, I mean, I hate it for a guy like that who he talked about it a little bit, and he said he'll never get to represent his country in the Olympics now because uh, of this rule. He would have been the starting goaltender for Finland this year had they been allowed to play. Uh, but he was hurt the last time they had the Winter Olympics, and then the time before that he got overlooked for another goalie. I hate it for guys like that who want to play for their home country but can't because of really a, a needless rule. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I hate to see that and because Pekka is such a – he is such a competitor too. He And I just wish he did have that chance. But like you said, Caleb um, – I haven't I haven't watched it as much um, because I just I really like seeing the NHL players, um, I, but I guess I do need to keep I do need to watch more of it. Um, but it just I just like seeing how the big professionals actually came together with their home country, the players that they usually play against, and see how they play together. 
Yeah, that's definitely fun to watch. I hate that we didn't get to this year, but I'm going to go ahead and and take a line out of y'all's book and make fun of y'all because y'all missed a big subject that you should have talked more about, but you haven't. And that was David Poole set a timeline today for Mike Fisher to return, and we could be seeing him as early as March 1st. That's some pretty big news. For the national, yeah, I did Predators. see that he is. He has been on the ice with the team practicing, so I don't care what they say. He's not in that bad of shape. If he's already playing, he's already out there practicing with the team and everything. And it seems like he's just been able to. He's going to be able to fall back into the groove. And I just, I think it's going to. It's very positive for the team. I can't imagine the excitement of Bridgestone Arena on his first night back to play at home. I mean, the people of Smashville love this guy. I mean, they they love what he represents for the Predators. Um, you know, a lot of um, Nashvillians are country music fans, so, you know, his wife is there. He's got his whole family there. So, I mean, he's centered around Nashville. He's done so much for, for the city. And the the crowd that's going to cheer him on, is going to be extraordinary. I'm just ready to see him play again, honestly. he He's always been one of those guys that I love to watch play. He's a hard-nosed guy. He does things the right way. And it, it's amazing to me how Nashville has brought in talent. But they, when you look at this team, they really have one of the best teams as far as character people you will ever see and Mike Fisher is just one more of those guys our team is probably some of the best set sets of human beings in the world much less hockey yeah players. and I think that's what I think that's why everybody has just seems like the whole states fell in love with the team and that and it's for that very reason when you see the work that PK Subban does um how much Mike Fisher has done throughout the years and continues to do um, what Yossi and Ellis and it, the thing about it is it just, the whole family atmosphere for the Preds has been, it, it just seems like it's unlike other teams. Um, although I haven't really dove in deeper for the culture of other teams. So I don't want to say that they're not like that. But the culture for this team has just built this whole state around us, and it's just we're all just one big family. Yeah, it's brought you know people closer together for sure. Especially last season when we made that run, I've got family members that that hate hockey. They they couldn't watch a game to save their life. But whenever they were making that run. They they would come to me and they'd be like, "Hey man, the Preds are doing good, aren't they? Yeah, they're playing really well. Yeah, me me and my mom or me and my dad or whoever have been watching it. You know, we're 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 trying to pick up on it. And then you get guys that come to me like, "Yeah man, I went to my first hockey game the other night. It's fun. Yeah, I mean it's it's contagious. I mean when you get the run that we had last year, it it grabs people to be like, "Hey, maybe I need to go to one of those games." And it's almost it's great, but it's so bad that the prices have have jumped for some people that can't attend on a regular basis because there's some families that w- that would sit back at home and watch it and would love to attend, and there's no feeling in the world like it. I've said that week in and week out. 
if you don't, if you've never had a chance to go, you need but to try. But guess it. what? We you. have, ladies and gentlemen. If you've never had the opportunity yourself to sit in the Bridgestone Arena and watch a hockey game, we can change that for you. For you and one other person, you both could be setting. I don't know where the seats are exactly. Kobe does, maybe. But we can have you and one other person sitting in the Bridgestone Arena watching two uh, the two top teams in the Western Conference in the, in the Central Division face off in Nashville two weeks from tonight, which I guess when you're listening to this, this may be the day after, but on the 27th, you could be watching the Preds. And all you have to do is what, Caleb? All you have to do is go follow us on Twitter and retweet the giveaway post that we have on our Twitter. It's posted on there a few times uh, just because we've been reminding people. But make sure you get the main uh, tweet about the giveaway and retweet that. Um, And it's uh, March 13th is the actual game. Uh, In two weeks is when we'll be giving it away. Uh, but yeah, definitely go check it out. We want, we want someone, uh, to win this and, and go to this game and have a ton of fun. Uh, it, this is just a great way to hopefully it's someone with, uh, experience in the game for the first time. But if, if you're a long lifelong fan, uh, we're okay with that too. We just want to get the word out that Nashville is a great oh, place Oh, yeah, and to who be. doesn't like free tickets, especially like Kobe said, ticket prices are expensive. Kobe's the only one that can afford these tickets, you know, so he's the one with the deep pockets. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and like Cody said, um, these are two teams that are at the top of the Central Division right now. This could be a game who decides if we're number one in the yes, Central or number be. two. So you you better believe that's going to be a playoff hockey atmosphere in that building that night, and that's just going to make it an even. Hey, better and game also to go you know to. they've started that wait list for season tickets now. So look at it; it's crazy that now there's a wait list. Absolutely, I mean it wasn't. It was just three years ago I was buying season tickets, and we literally walked in and picked the seat we wanted to sit in. Now people are having to wait just to, to get season tickets and they pick the seat for you. So it's absolutely nuts that there's a wait list, but it just shows how good this organization is doing. And hopefully whoever goes to this game wins these free tickets. Hopefully they love it so much that they go and put their name on the wait list that night. Another thing guys too um, especially for the people that have never been, if one of y'all are the lucky winners, get there early, watch the guys skate in warm-ups, um, go down and stand on the glass. Um, if you've got kids or, or whatever, go down there and stand on the glass um, and watch those guys up close. Uh, it's unreal. You know, get there early enough to, to hear the national anthem. Game uh, puck drop is usually 7 o'clock. Um, if you get there somewhere around 6.15, 6.20, you're just about guaranteed to see those guys warm up and, you know, get plenty of time to, to get to your seats. It's a, Like I said, it's an experience. Um, 
that you can enjoy with a family member or friend. And, uh, guys, I hope you enjoy it. All right. Well, I guess that'll do it for this week's episode of the 360 Tennessee Sports Coverage Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode uh, as much as we did recording it. Uh, as always, go and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Keep up with uh, what we're posting about. We try to keep everyone up to date. Go Preds, go Titans, and go Vols. Thank you.